I'm Kieran. And I'm Eve. This is Kitchen Table Cult. Where two quiverful escapees talk about our experiences in the cultish underbelly of the religious right. Hi, Eve. Hi, Kieran. <laughs> How are you? I am. I feel like I woke up from a nightmare and I'm not sure if it's real or not. Yeah. Like, how do you, how do you like accept that just after four years, he's suddenly gone and silent? I don't know. I like, I feel like there's a weight lifted off of my like chest and I can like breathe a little bit easier, but I'm still really scared to believe it. So my body is just in like this state of confusion with regards to like should I hold on to the anxiety just in case it comes back or like (laughs) how much do I let go I mean (laughs) like I I keep I keep going back and forth on this where it's like okay I want to like celebrate a little bit but also you know just because the the person bombing children in another country under our flag has uses they them pronouns on on their uh id uh doesn't mean that it's any better (laughs) like right (laughs) like yeah so trying to to enjoy the small strides that have been made and also staying, you know, energized to for this to be a very long-term fight. Yeah. It's a challenge, but um, you know, the good thing is that uh we have people with with consciences who we can guilt. Yes, yeah, I feel like uh now is the time for us to do the real work before we were mostly in like damage control and trying to stay alive. And now it's like, okay, how do we fix things now that we have people who are at least amenable to the idea that something is broken? It's easier to build when you're not playing whack-a-mole. Yeah. That's exactly. for sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I just got like literally minutes before we started recording, I got a phone call from Kaiser that um they scheduled my bottom surgery video consult for February 1st so I'm like very excited that's big yeah wow so good news good news Uh, on multiple fronts what do we do with it yeah I don't know (laughs) I don't know like I I don't know how to like hold joy anymore that's like a hard thing in other news, the semester started, and I don't think I've ever felt this tired and disorganized at the beginning of a semester. It is going to be a fucking long one. Yeah. My students are great. Everything is great. But it's just like the month off was not enough. <laughs> yeah. Like trying to teach remotely suddenly during a pandemic and then like it's just it's a nightmare. It's hard. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. So if I'm a little bit um, on the the in and out on keeping up with commitments, it's because I'm just, you know, teaching full for for full. Bleh, I can't talk for full classes. Um, over Zoom. <laughs> yeah. Good luck. Thanks. But uh, in, in other ways. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, in other news, we have a really cool person here today. Uh, Emily, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Hi, guys. Um, Hi. I am Emily English Medley. I am the author of From the Moon I Watched Her, which was published on January 19th, the day before 
the United States inauguration. Uh, I actually wrote the book. Yeah, right. Um, I actually wrote the book several years ago. So I packed it away uh, throughout this entire, uh, from 2016 to 2020, I packed the book away. It didn't see the light of day uh, during the Trump administration. And I brought it out in January and last January and decided it was kind of time to start querying it again. And the rest is kind of history. So it was, it was published on, on January 19th. So I'm super excited to be here. Yeah. Congrats. Although like the birth was like very long. It had a big prodromal stage and like a lot of, <laughs> well, you know, like, I think I walked away with like a fourth degree episiotomy. Yeah, and probably no, birth, some, like be- rectal tearing. Books <laughs> 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 tend to be that way. You're in labor for like seven years, and then boom, yes. it's seven, and you feel like you got hit by a truck. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. When 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 Greenleaf, uh, that's my my publisher. When Greenleaf sent me the box of my books, I truly felt like I had birthed the books. And when I opened the box, I was like you know how you feel when you look at a newborn and you're like, you know, I, I, it's kind of weird looking. Like I thought it was smaller <laughs> or bigger. And like, I'm counting the, the proverbial like 10 fingers and toes and they were there. I mean, but it, it, it kind of was almost like they could have brought me any newborn from the nursery. Good job. Mom. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I know. This is just the one that had your name on yes, it. So it's, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, would you feeling? like to get like, a brief overview about the book and then we can just sort of dive in. Sure. So From the Moon I Watched Her is um, literary fiction. It is as dark as humanly possible. It is not for the masses. It is not for everyone. It does not have a clear plot line. It does not have a uh, happy ending. It is difficult to read and the content warnings are more prolific than the praise. So, um, okay. But what know, is it? <laughs> You've given us what it's not. Tell so, us what it is. Okay. Yes. So what is it? It's a, I think it's a beautiful story about a little girl and her coming of age, uh, into the world and trying to make sense of her system and, and where she finds fellowship with God and the love that she finds along the way and the friendships that are extended to her. It's a glimpse into a family. It could have been any family. This family, you know, is not a bad family. These are good people. They are trapped. And the book is about people who are trapped. I think it has a lot of potential you know, to, to speak to a lot of different people that, that are in a lot of different settings. You know, it's based in Texas, it's based in the Church of Christ, but it could have been based anywhere. It's a book about oppression, and it's a book about fanaticism, and it's a book about love, and it's a book about forgiveness, and it's a book of revelation. Amazing. Yeah, it is really, really well done. Honestly, it's like, it took me I had to like take breaks reading it because it was very, it resonated a lot with me. Um, I spent like, you know, all of like three minutes trying out the church of Christ when I was a child. And uh, 
the way that you described being in the Church of Christ really like tracked with my experience of being in the Church of Christ. Kieran, since I haven't read it and our listeners haven't, do you want to give us a slightly spoiler-free plot summary? Yeah. So the story of like a girl in the church with like her family in leadership and like the rampant sexual abuse that can happen in mm. the church is a story that like I had like it's not, it's not a story that I have seen many times in book form but it is it's our bread something and that I saw yeah it's it's par for the course of growing up in the religious right movement that we were born into and it was like it was very cathartic uh in some ways to like just see like I felt very seen and represented while while reading the book even though like my church experiences did not result in sexual abuse I was very very lucky but I knew a lot of people who were not lucky and it's just it's a common theme in uh those of us who have escaped to have escaped like abusive churches and abusive people who try to keep us trapped whether it be through sexual abuse or just religious abuse or psychological like it's just it's very it's very relatable it's extremely relatable content <laughs> um, and it was it was done very well and it was really well balanced i really loved in particular how it was written from the lens of the main character and watching how she evolved over time in her understanding of what was happening around her was also like very similar to that change that I went through where I was like, Oh yeah, this is perfectly normal and fine. Um, one of my What's the time frame, like the age range, it starts off when she's very young, like a toddler and Emily, please feel free to correct me, but it ends at like the end ish of high school so it's basically like the whole like childhood of existing and living in this like cult-ish church so what, what it's like to be a minor in that world well yep. and i i did that because so stephanie has a lot of compulsions and stephanie has a lot of coping mechanisms that you know some may or may not understand and she is so she is so innocent that she really doesn't even know that these are compulsions. And the reason I started the protagonist out at that age is because I basically wanted to, this is sad, I'm going to say this, try to say this without crying, but I wanted to create a character without any hope. Hmm. Because, you know, when we, when we see people as they are, when we see people in their kind of full display as adults, right? Uh, very rarely do we get to go back and see them kind of before the heartbreak began. And so I needed to take her back before the heartbreak began, even though mm -hmm. like when you open up the first chapter, Stephanie already is very rote. She already has the programming, like she's got all the words and I mean, she can already go there, but like I needed that young girl, you know, not to say goo goo gaga. I mean, that was kind of right. like a big challenge not to write it like that, like not to be like goo goo gaga, but like her writing sucks and she says things wrong and, you know, her, her verbs, you know, they, they don't, the pronouns don't agree and nothing is, it's just not great, you know, but she's a baby. Mm -hmm. She's a baby. 
Yeah. And I feel like that came across really well too. I think it's important when having these kinds of conversations, like people who haven't experienced that kind of abuse don't really understand what it's like to recover from it. And you can't really, it's almost impossible to recover from it if you don't have a sense of like what you're trying to get back to, like what was you before the the trauma. So I think that's a really you know important thing to have included in this story. Thank you. Yeah. It was... It was just so good. Um, I wrote out a couple of excerpts that really just kind of like stood out to me in like the beginning of the book because I'm just going to read it and then I will explain it. So like early on in the first chapter, there's like a debate happening between uh, the pastor, which is the Stephanie's like grandfather and some woman who thinks abortion is fine. And this whole conversation happens. And at some point the she's like sitting in church and her grandfather is preaching and he's really upset about how people are forsaking saints and she asked her mom like what does that mean and her mom is like well it's not us honey he's talking about people who don't come to church regularly like people who only come on Sunday mornings but then don't come on Sunday nights Wednesday nights or Tuesday home group (laughs) (laughs) and I just like I, I, I had to stop for a second because it was just like we're not even judging wow. the like Christmas and Easter Christians. We're judging the ones who like don't show up. To well, in, in the Church of Christ, you're not a Christian. You're not a Easter or Christmas Christian because that would even be more wronger. Right? Because that's yeah. not a yeah, you're that's not actually a pagan. real Christian. Yeah. That's right. true. It was yeah. Mr. pagan. Yeah. It's yeah. And, and the other thing that like. And, and this kind of uh, conversation has happened a couple times in the book where like the pastor or her mom says something and she and she's like, what does that mean? I don't understand. Then the mom explains it and the child is like, oh, yeah, OK, so that means like all my friends are going to hell. And that's just like par for the course. Like, yeah, there's no, the there's no hand wringing about it. <laughs> no, okay, yeah, it's like, well, I guess they're just going to hell. Yes. Yeah, just, Simone just will like- burn in the bloodbath of hell. It's sad. Yeah. It's sad. So a quick beat. Um, your own experiences in the Church of Christ definitely seem to have informed this a little bit. What's that moment like? I mean, like I think Kieran and I both remember like that moment of like realizing like, cool, all of our extended family and all of our like friends are going to hell. What was that like for you? I think it is it, it it's oh, it's burdensome, right? It's it's a big burden to carry, um, to feel like the the people that you love are outside of your system are, are are going to be separated from you. You know, funny, this is kind of a funny story. When I started dating my husband, which by the way, I was 18 years old and we dated for about th- no, he's my current high. Like we've been married for 30. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just well when I married nice. him, I I mean I was like, I gotta go somewhere and I gotta have I got to do this, you know, and uh, if it doesn't work out, we'll just readjust. But it did work out. It just kept working out. But when we first started dating, I had only known him for a couple of weeks and I knew I loved him. But I was like, hey, have you been 
have you been baptized? And he was like, yeah, I've been baptized. I'm like, how have you been baptized? He's like, I've been sprinkled, you know, in the Methodist church. I'm like, I was like, that will not do. That does not. That will not work. And I'm not going to be able to date you. Like, we got to go baptize you. He's like, like now? I'm like, yeah, like right now. I took We have to, to watch, wash all your bits and before I, we can use them. Yeah, just, I got to get, just, just, exactly. Just give me your, I just got to dunk you. And so I took him and I baptized him. And that was better because then we could keep dating. So I was very, no, like, can you imagine if we had met at like the age of 37, he would be like, okay, you psycho. No, no. <laughs> it's, it's, such oh a, it's such a, like, it's such a burdensome res- sense of responsibility. Like, yes. Oh, I, yes. Like, I care about, Definitely. I care about these people and now I have to save them. And I don't yeah. want to be loving someone who I'm going to be separated from. Mm-hmm. So like, let's just get this out of the way so that we can yeah. not be friends, you know, but I definitely, you know, it, 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 it was, it is hard to, to have people that you like, especially like Baptists. Cause they, I remember like being little <laughs> and well, no, yeah. and I actually went to the Baptist church for a long time um, as an adult, but God, I can't. Sorry, but um, they had <laughs> they had steeples, and like steeples are bad. They have yeah yeah they had a steeple with a cross, and so that's um, you know an idol. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know what might be uh, interesting to talk about is like some of the tenets of the Church of Christ that separate it from other churches because. My my biggest like experience of the difference in the Church of Christ was there was no instruments and also that Baptists are evil um, because they have Baptist in the name and that's all the logic you need for that. That's right. Really, it's called a stick man, um, stick man argument. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's just like that's literally like how how it works. What are some other like unique things to the Church of Christ that are different from like your standard? Baptist Church. So Church of Christ, um, they will have very plain buildings. Um, so there, I always kind of like to say there's Church of Christ and then there's Church of Christ. Yes. Right? <laughs> yeah. And so like the Church of Christ, which is like I was in the Church of, like the Church of Christ. <laughs> but like they um, typically like will frown upon um, any kind of like material on the pews. So you'll have wooden pews. And I, I think it's because like the more it hurts, the more it works. Like you need some hard ass pew time, y'all. Oh, oh like God, you yeah. need your back there. You need your, but I mean, it just, it doesn't Suffering work. Suffering is a prerequisite for salvation. Yes. Yes. And like no ornament. So like you won't see stained glass. You won't see crosses. You won't see, you know, they, a lot of them will not have a kitchen. You will not have, you know, interesting. So you won't have instrumental music except for, so when I was a little girl, instrumental music was a heaven and hell issue. Now Mm -hmm. you go to churches of Christ and they'll have a praise team, which is like, you are going to hell. I don't know how you got, (laughs) how the hell do you now have a fucking praise team? Why? (laughs) You have a praise team. This is horrible this you're aggrandizing yourself okay so like microphones praise team that stuff on the screen like you know what? now what okay but so the true like church christ will be like that's not church christ so that's this not is like it's extremely it's, ascetic 
Well, but except yeah. for now, it's okay. Like in some of the churches of Christ, now it's okay to have this music or these instruments. And so, it, but it was a heaven and hell issue then, but it's not a heaven and hell issue now. So my question to you is how can truth get clearer? How does it get clearer? Why is truth not truth when it's truth? Why does the light get clearer as you go? If mm -hmm. it was truth back then, then it wasn't. Right. Truth. You know what I mean? So, uh, but, you know, so they won't, uh, they, churches of Christ, you know, they won't have instruments even maybe in a wedding. You can have instruments in a wedding if you have your wedding somewhere else. Right. <laughs> of course. Uh, it's true. I hey, mean, but hey, question, are trumpets allowed because they exist in the New Testament? No, no, no. Oh. Um, music made with your heart. It's it, it's in Psalms. Make a joyful noise with your heart. So mm. forget it if your heart, you know, this is what was. This so this is, is the is original happening. screaming in your heart, It's but it's praising yeah. in your heart. Well, it's, it's so what's interesting to me about the instrumental music is, you know, there are people in the world and I've had experience with them that are literally locked in their body with no language, you know, people mm -hmm. with, you know, nonverbal autism, children who are, you know, I'm, I'm a nurse practitioner. I've spent time in the pediatric ICU and a lot of time in labor and delivery. And um, I've just seen a lot of different things. And my, my question is why, when you see a person who's locked in their body with no language and they're, but they're rocking back and forth to music that is done by instruments or a baby is dancing. I mean, I'm not trying to be like Kevin Bacon on Footloose, you know, but like there <laughs> is a time to dance. There is a time for music. Like it, there, there, there are people who are it's trapped with no language. Innate to human they nature. They can play a drum. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes, it's innate to human nature. But that being said, I still can't go. I still have a really, really hard time going to services with instrumental music. It grieves me. I can't. I can't do it. It's like a noise. What about going to like live music shows and concerts? Yeah, that's okay. Amazing. Good. That's okay. At least that's fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's. I mean, heavy metal, hard rock, rap, as loud as it can get, right? But like, definitely not a piano, please. <laughs> in a church yeah amazing amazing oh Thank you. yeah so kieran has some questions for you from the book yeah i'm like looking at um, them <laughs> yeah some of them uh we kind of touched on like we've given background about uh being in the church of christ and how everyone who's not in the church of christ is going to hell because um that's just you know par for the course uh like first sign of a cult we're the right yeah the yeah yeah um and so i kind of want to talk about things that happened a little bit later in the book and the one thing that really kind of one of the things that really stuck out to me. There's a lot of things that stood out to me in this book. It's a good book. Um, but one of the things is um, Stephanie's mom was talking about doing something, and I can't remember what this something was, and saying that, like, she'll have the best mansion in heaven. <laughs> and, like, it, it, it spoke to me because that's my parents' motivation for everything is like doing all of these Christian things like tithing 50% of their income or whatever um, 
just to build up up their treasures in heaven. Capitalism on the grave. Right. And and so I was wondering if uh, you would mind unpacking that a little for like what that means for people in the Church of Christ. If it's like the same thing as my parents, which is really just like motivation for having a fancy castle in heaven, which I've never really understood. To be can, can I add a, a little footnote on that? Um, yeah. Like, and also, does this impact their politics? Because the uh, one of the things that we talk a lot about is like the whole like we're going to get new bodies in heaven, and like heaven and earth will be like remade after Christ's return, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, who gives a fuck about climate change? Oh. That was yeah. one of the things that was common in our world. So, uh, so yeah. you guys actually ha- had that belief of the um, the new world. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I would say, and you know, I, I can't speak for every body in the Church of Christ, but my understanding of what builds a mansion in heaven is suffering. Mm. Su- that tracks suffering. Um, how many tears you cry? Because God counts them and your tears are then turned into jewels, right? Mm, I and remember this. We got this one too. Oh, yeah. Of course. It's the first will be last and the last will be first. So whoever in this world hurts the most, serves the most, is diminished the most. So the marginalized will be first, but not not. Gay people, right. not well, this that. Is, this is the story of the. This is, I guess, this is largely coming from that that parable of the the rich man and the poor man outside his gate, and the rich man wouldn't right. feed him, and then they both die, and That's he's right. in hell, and he's like, "Give me some water," and he's like, "Yeah, no, I'm not going to do that," and he goes back to his like, yeah. in heaven." Right, right. So definitely not women, definitely not gay people. That is though they are not going to be first. It's going to be the people who basically did the most suffering and did, did the most, uh, well, and who ran the race, who were mm-hmm. able to run the race. That's just kind of like more lingo, like not, yeah. not lingo, but like, like things that we endurance. remember, right? Like endurance, you, you ran a good race, but Paul ran a good race. Right. Not yeah, Paul, definitely... not Paul in the book. I mean, Paul in the Bible. <laughs> Paul in the Bible. <laughs> the biblical Paul. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's definitely uh, how my parents took that as well with the like, well, you're more blessed in heaven if you suffer on earth. So basically all of their life decisions Absolutely. have been like, how do we suffer the yes. most? I remember, um. I remember having this, this really like revelatory conversation with my one of my high school friends who grew up Mennonite. And so she didn't grow up with this this mindset and she said at some point like she looked at me and she's like you know Eve like you don't have to choose the hardest path that's like not mm-hmm. gonna make God any happier with you mm-hmm. and I was like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sorry, my parents like it motivated us to, to our siblings based on like yeah. you know getting a crown in heaven or yeah. something like how? come come again yes I do right yes, I do um, one time somebody really like illuminated to me, somebody said, you need to read Galatians, go read the beginning of Galatians and like reading the beginning of Galatians, like straight up set me free. 
Oh, yeah, that was a big one for me, too, where it was yeah. like, oh, hello, the legalism doesn't actually matter. And That's right. Fuck that's that. right. Yeah. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about Galatians for people who have not been uh, inducted <laughs> into the club. <laughs> let, me, um, let me pull it up and I'll read the first couple of bits. It gets pretty deep into, like... Well, the law is the law, you know, the law, we, we are not here to fulfill law. Like we are here to fulfill the law of love. And so, um, I'm going to start in verse six, which is after kind of the, the introduction and prayer. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I will say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. And it talks about approval and basically it gets into like works don't save you. Yeah. Christ saves you. Right. So when you get this like works equals salvation. Okay. Works plus love equals salvation. Right. But like when you can flip it and you're like, salvation equals love salvation will equal works but this is undoing like a mindset it, it's def- difficult to undo well, that. it's like it's like flipping yeah. it's, it's in- I mean, I was joking about the capitalism after the grave but it kind of is continuing that mindset of like you can do the bare minimum and be saved right mm-hmm. um but that does but that means that like your your afterlife is going to suck because you're not going to you're not going to be a vip in heaven you're not going to have any amenities. no no <laughs> yeah. you're not going to have any amenities you might have there an outhouse be, you won't have a swimming pool <laughs> it's you not going to be have a dinosaur to no, ride on. no your mansion's not going to be good yeah yeah <laughs> it's, a, it's a really interesting mindset and it's it's now that I, I like hadn't really thought this through, but now that I'm thinking about it, it really does, I think, influence a lot of the, you know, pro-capitalist political yeah. conversations yeah. that occur in this world. Yeah. Wow. Shock. Yeah. So um, um, missionaries are a big deal in the Church of Christ. Talk to us a little bit about that. See, but they're, I don't think they are. Like when I saw that question, I was like, they are smarter than me because I don't think of um, the Church of Christ as being heavy on on the mission field as much as I do like the Baptist church being heavy on the mission field. So like the mission field in the Church of Christ would be to evangelize others to the Church of Christ. Uh huh. So it's more yeah. it's more like converting other Christians to the cult as opposed to like it a hundred percent. Okay, it a hundred percent is. So um, I mean, it's all about evangelizing others into the Church of Christ and converting them to right. the Church of Christ. Bef- in our like pre-show chat, you were talking about something that sounded like you might have had a quota of people that you were supposed to be bringing to church on a regular basis. Well, not so much a quota, just a regularity. Like, so the story was, um, I think I I was like, I don't know, probably a freshman in high school. And um, my mom told me I wasn't bringing visitors to church. So I brought a friend and he, he is gay. He was a beautiful, beautiful friend. And he came to church in full 
drag. I mean, like his whole entire face made up, like <laughs> hair done, <laughs> in a like just looking on full drag display. And it was wonderful. And he actually loved the service. Like he thought it was pretty sweet, you know? I mean, sweet, like sweet. He was kind of touched by it, you know? We sat on the pew and like we had a good time and he listened and we'll took it in. and Spiritual moment. He did. Yeah. I mean, he was a sweet guest and he thought it was nice and he kind of like was under the assumption he was wanted there and mm -hmm. all those things. And then mm -hmm. afterwards I got in trouble and I had to write a letter of apology to the elders because um, I had, well, I had been rebellious and I had brought someone who was gay and that wasn't the type of visitor that they were talking about, but I don't really know what kind of visitor they were talking yeah. about. Like someone, someone who could conform and also tithe a whole lot of, of money. Yeah. <laughs> or, or someone who, wasn't a flagrant sinner. Right. So, so yeah. like if it wasn't the flagrant sinner that I was supposed to be bringing, which I didn't think of it that way, but like if it's not the flagrant broken sinner that I should have been bringing, then who exactly What's the would point they of like the gospel? to be there? Yeah. What's the point of it? <laughs> yes. Oh, man. That's <laughs> what, what is even. I do like – in my family was non-denominational, which is uh -huh. a very specific yes. denomination. Yes, it is. <laughs> um, <laughs> and and like I was homeschooled, <laughs> so it's it's not like I had school friends that I could bring because oh. my entire school all went to church because it was my siblings. Yeah, um, yeah. But definitely, like I remember hearing from pastors and stuff, being like, "You need to evangelize to your friends and bring them to this church." And like they had like you know little some some of the churches had like uh, revival y things oh. happening, mm -hmm. and I re I remember like feeling that pressure to like try to invite a lost person to church but the problem with being isolated with church people is there's nowhere in the pool to choose from because they're already at church well it, i remember yeah. in our group it was like you were encouraged to bring other christians other theologically literate people to your church because it was like we have the we have the corner on on accuracy here and i remember like Obviously. feeling pressure as a child to convert my devout episcopalian grandmother like <laughs> as if she wasn't really a christian no that's so painful because like i have this i the, my wonderful father-in-law um who died and when he died when he was dying, my grandfather flew across the country to baptize him. Mm. And he really wasn't healthy enough to be baptized. He could not stand. We could not oh. get him in, into the tub. Oh. And um, we stood around in the living room and my grandfather said this really long prayer that was actually really making my father-in-law very tired to stand there. He was dying of brain cancer. Um, really couldn't have consented to anything like that anyways. Um, it, it is very, very painful to, to, to see. But, you know, I think that sense of duty, like, and I, and I, and I mean, I gotta say, like, I love my family, you know, I loved my family, but there were many times like that. And, and, and it really just kind of solidified martyrdom 
right? When somebody won't listen to you or when they won't. <laughs> well, also like yeah. consent is irrelevant because you know what's best for them and they don't. Right. Right. And it's obviously like Jesus is the answer. So you just right. have to have to force that on people on their deathbed otherwise you're not doing your job right right well and i i mean i have actually been on the other side of it you know when my grandfather was dying um you know i i called him and i i said i want you to bless me i want you to bless my life and tell me that i've been a good granddaughter because i had been a good granddaughter i mean i i was a good granddaughter you know and my early adulthood, like my husband was a waiter and we were students. And anytime we had any money, we would go and visit him, you mm -hmm. know, when we could have been on a beach. Right. Yeah. I right. mean, but, um, you know, when he was dying he, and he, I mean, he only had five minutes left to talk to me. Right. He clears his voice and, you know, on the phone. And he said, if you, <clears throat> Emily, if you do not get your children back into the church of Christ, and he named them by name, Savannah, Max, Leo. God is going to burn them up like filthy rags and throw them into a dumpster. Ooh, and, wow. and that was literally, that was literally the last thing that he said to me. And, you know, I walked away from that conversation knowing that this is sick, y'all. But like, I walked away from that conversation knowing that by telling me that, he was loving me. He was loving me because if he had five minutes left and he had life-saving information for me and my lineage, he was going to be brave enough to tell me. Right. It was a, he was in a prison. That was really how he felt. Mm -hmm. and, and I didn't walk away from that angry with him. I walked away from that really very sad for him. You know, and my daughter at his funeral, you know, she was like four years old and she was like, is Zaibu is he in heaven? And I said, yes, Zaibu is in heaven. And she said, he's just going to get really good talking to. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> yeah it's 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 deeply fucked up to say something like that but also like given the the parameters of the world that he existed yeah. in it no, makes really. sense that you would feel that way mm -hmm. yeah. yeah 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 wow so i wanted to ask you you know you're very clear that this is fiction um yeah. But it is definitely influenced by your experiences in this this community, in this world. Um, to what extent would you say that, you know, this might fall in the the genre of autofiction? Well, so... Because I'm always you know, a fan the, of, like, women entering <laughs> that, that community because too many yeah. women own that space. Oh, yeah. Um, so the book, you know, it, it's definitely fiction. I mean, oh, my gosh, like, I... 90 percent of the shit is like completely fabricated. I mean, I can rattle off how and why and all of those things. I think the author is in every book. I think we write about what we know. You know, authors write about kind of what they know. So um, autofiction, you know, I, I guess I'm still learning about what that genre is. But 
the core of this book and the love of this book and the burning of this book and the, the, the vitriol, I guess, if you will, in this book, you know, the core of it is, is a part of my heart, which parts of those are true will, re- will always remain with me. But, but the book is fiction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The fire behind it is not got it. There you go. That makes there sense. you go. Yeah. I like that. I so, like that. <laughs> um, so you're starting to get some reviews out, and I you you mentioned that you're getting some some responses that um, that are frustrated, but seem to match up with what you intended the experience of your reader to have as they're reading this book. You want to talk a little bit about what you wanted the reader to come away with? <sighs> yeah. So some of these reviews. Um, What's sticking out for me the most is the ones that, well, there's one that's, one thing that's kind of funny to me is like a couple of reviews are like, I put this down because it's boring. I hate sermons. I'm not a religious person. It's like, well, no shit. I mean, I wanted you to be bored. Do you think that when I wrote this book, any of this is an accident? If you're bored, it's because Stephanie was bored. If you're if you're confused, it's because Stephanie was confused. Like if you're grossed out, it's because she was. So I want you to be bored. You're supposed to be bored. The, the sermons are supposed to be too much to bear. Like that's what it's like, right? That's the point. That's the point. But the, the reviews that I think are really making me sad, although I'm really happy for them, I'm happy in the sadness, but it makes me sad to see people say, this is so hard to read. This is so hard to read. Well, okay, first of all, and I know like our listeners can't see, but let's look at the fucking cover of this book. There yeah. is a darkened profile of a little child, and behind it is flames. They appear to be made out of construction paper, maybe from Sunday school, right? <laughs> this is not a beach read, y'all. This is bad. <laughs> this is dark. Well, I and- mean, this is like we get we get this kind of comment too, where it's like, oh my God, the stuff that they talk about is so heavy. And it's like, yeah, because it is. Yeah, it's because it to is. Talk about. Yeah, it is. So, you know, the thing, the thing about From the Moon I Watched Her that I think and I know that this is what readers are having a difficult time with, is that I let this aroused little girl speak, okay? And that is what makes this book different. Because when you read a lot of books about sexual abuse and when you read a lot of books about delinquency of minors and about the things that that Stephanie goes through, you do not read about it from the child that is aroused. And people cannot stand to think of a little child being sexualized, but that's what it is. That's what it does. So when you see a little child who's awakened like that and she's got these compulsions, like one reviewer was like, I cannot believe that this author let a five-year-old moan in the closet. There is a five-year-old moaning in the closet. That is disgusting. Well, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. And that if that's hard by to, accident. If that's right. if it's hard for you to read, then I recommend that we collectively as a society start to reassess what the word hard means. Yes. I am always a fan of like when we're talking about like childhood abuse experiences of centering the perspectives of the children because so often we get commentary from the parents and those you know authority figures and those other voices tend to drown out the experience of, of the children and the perspective of the children during those those moments um, and those experiences. So I'm really happy to see like the child's view and understanding of those moments centered. 
Well, and I think that's one of the reasons too, that people, you know, we wonder why kids never tell and we wonder (laughs) why, well, we wonder why they carry such shame. You know, they carry such shame because we have this idea of what sexual abuse feels like and that it hurts and that we're always Mm -hmm. hurt, but we don't like to talk about like how, if it felt good or if we were aroused by it, you know, when in reality, if you went outside and it was cold and you shivered, that's a physical response, right? But we want to, we put the shame on the kids because what? Because they, they moaned in the closet. Well, and you have this with, you know, adult rape survivors too, where it's like, they'll feel yeah. guilty for having experienced yeah. an orgasm during their own assault. Yeah. And natural, yeah. Like, the body has natural like defense mechanisms and responses and it's not their fault that that happened. It's not something you can control. Yeah. 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 And I think that's, I think that's what is really hard for people. I don't, I think they feel a lot of, um, you know, I was doing an interview the other night and he was like, would you call it cognitive dissonance? And I said, well, yes, the whole book is about cognitive dissonance. Yes. Uh, The whole, everybody in the book is dealing with cognitive dissonance. And, you know, when I I think the reader really probably feels a lot of that. Mm -hmm. Good. They should. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah it, that was honestly one of the most powerful things about the book, I think, is just because it was all from the perspective of this child going through it in the moment. It wasn't like there was not an adult who an adult voice that came and swooped in and said, by the way, this is bad. It was entirely just like, this is what this child is experiencing and this is what they know. And mm-hmm. that like, you know, having grown up similarly is one of those things that just really struck home and was really powerful because like that is what it's like like this is it it is exactly what it's like as a child in these movements to like feel and to deal with like sexual abuse that is just so rampant in the church and in their lives and it's just like it sucks and it's it's difficult to read it or it makes you uncomfortable because as an adult, you're like, this is wrong the entire time, but it's important to sit with that like uncomfortable moment and really realize that this is what it is like for kids who are abused. Mm -hmm. Like, of course it's wrong. Of course you're outraged. Of course you're uncomfortable and you should be because this is what it's like. And the protection, I mean, that there's, there's, there's no, there's, you know, it's not okay to divorce. Right. It's not okay to divorce, no matter how much you may need one. It is not okay to divorce, you know, but, but there's so much, oh, I just could. There's no, there's no safety net. There's no protections within the theology of that kind of community to like allow abuse to be taken seriously. Well, and, you know, newsflash, you don't ever have to touch someone. So a lot yeah. of the a lot of the molesting that goes on in From the Moon I Watched Her is mental molesting mm-hmm. and how you can create a lot just by manipulating a mind. Yeah. Yeah. It's um it's very dangerous and very powerful. So yeah. This is really heavy. I appreciate you being able to come in and talk to us about it. Don't apologize. I just, you know, I'm aware that this is like, we talk a lot about like doing this podcast is physically draining for us because it's revisiting trauma and 
um, you know, you're, you've spent so much time putting yourself into the mind space of this girl experiencing trauma. So, you know, I know this is like a physically tasking conversation for all of us. And I appreciate you being willing to do that and have this conversation with us Mm. that you took the time to write this book. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, there's hope, right? I mean, right. Like, did you get hope out of the book too? Or is it? I did like, so one of the like things about the ending or the lack thereof Mm -hmm. that I love is like at the end of it, uh, like Stephanie starts putting pieces together and is like, hmm, maybe this isn't like cool. Maybe, maybe what I grew up in is wrong a little bit. And, and then like, it just sort of like ends on that note of like, everything that I thought was true was maybe not true. And that's like, that's the first domino. It, that's the that's the important thing, right? Exactly. Like that's huge and hopeful for me because that's that's how you start leaving, right? Um, I think maybe a lot of people don't understand that if like they haven't been through that, mm-hmm. but that's like the most powerful thing for me is like not only did this child go through all this stuff, but at some point she began questioning, and at some point she was like, you know what, this is this is messed up and it's not okay. And like the other thing that I wanted to kind of nod to with the missionarying is like because divorce is not a thing, like leaving to do mission stuff is maybe a way to get out of that environment and to like go do other things that isn't being a church person. (laughs) Yeah. I think the mission field is like a really common, like autonomy space for, for women who don't fit the mold in in these communities. Okay. So like, I am not trying to bring this down even further, but like you are having me on your show and I did write this horrible book. So obviously there's like a lot of pain and darkness inside Mm -hmm. of me, but I will say, um, so September 11th, right. And like, right. After that, Andrea Yates killed Mm -hmm. all of her children. Mm -hmm. Okay. So like I understood September 11th as an act of war and like I, it was awful and I got, but, and I cried and I was traumatized just like everyone, but I had to go to like therapy over Andrea Yates because, so Andrea Yates was in the church of Christ. Um, Yeah. I, I have been yeah. obsessed with her story I am for obsessed. years. So those of you who don't know Andrea Yates, she had really bad postpartum depression and a, an abusive marriage, and she wasn't able to get out. And I, I guess she was in the Church of Christ too, so that that adds you know powder to that keg. Um, and yeah. she she uh, killed herself and her children, or she killed her children. Yes, in yes. this psychotic yeah. episode as a kind of a, the intention was to protect them from the abuse. She loved her children. She loved her children. She truly was having postpartum psychosis and there was no help for her. So, you know, this whole being a missionary out of the church of Christ, y'all, I am sure that it happens, but what I know to be of it is there is no leaving it. Once you leave it, you are amputated. You are spiritually fucking done. You are done forever, even if it leaves you, 
even another if another sign of a cult, it, you know, you, yeah. it, I mean, you're done and you will forever be done. Mm -hmm. So I don't know of a mission field that's safe at, you know, to say like, Oh, I'm leaving or it left me or I'm evolving or I want to be, because I mean, because it was 20 years or more where on a Sunday morning, I didn't have like visceral, visceral PTSD about not being, you know, about forsaking the saints, about not being oh, in a church. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, <laughs> that feels very, very familiar. <laughs> yep. So I, I, I know, you know, some, I, I, I wouldn't say that there's, I'm sure there is a lot of mission work, you know, but I, I didn't know it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Getting out um, so much. It, it does. It does. Literally it does cost everything. some everything. Everything. Yeah. Everything. Congrats on yeah. getting out. And congrats on making it to the other well, side. I mean. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I think you. I mean, you know, it's 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 all whatever. I mean, but and and I I think that and I I've said before I I'm not disparaging them. You know, I have a soft spot in my heart for them. They are part of me, and I will always be. You know, I mean, my roots are deep in that. But but um, you can cut off a root. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, loving someone doesn't mean that you don't have good boundaries with them. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so the last thing that I wanted to talk about that we kind of chatted about before we started recording was baptizing. That's – my parents were real weird about that too. How, like, how, like – they. So first of all, my parents, like – believed that it was totally possible to lose your salvation oh well yeah so like in you may have to be baptized multiple I've times i've been in baptized multiple times yeah i've been oh baptized God. twice just yeah. twice what about you how many times have you been uh baptized? i have only been baptized once but not for lack of trying on my parents behalf to <laughs> baptize me again okay because when I was like, I don't know, young or whatever, I was like, I really want to be a Christian, accept Jesus into my heart. And uh -huh. so they, I was like at some like church thing or whatever in the Gulf of Mexico. And my dad was like, all right, then I'll just go baptize you. So okay. I like got baptized in the Gulf of Mexico, but I was really young. And so when I was like uh, maybe a teenager, yeah. maybe didn't take. they were like. Didn't take. Yeah, well, clearly it hasn't. It did not take. <laughs> I, got I got baptized once. Obviously it's not. But. But then I like also did like the aisle walk of like rededicating my life like multiple times, probably like oh, yeah. 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 and then Definitely. we joined Sovereign Grace Ministries, which was when I refer to the cult I grew up in. That's that's what I'm talking about. But they had Calvinist adjacent theology, and so perseverance of the saints was a thing. And so suddenly, like getting rebaptized wasn't on the table, and I was like, okay, I'm I'm fine with this. <laughs> mm, okay well my baptism definitely did not take the first one didn't take so i was baptized the second time and i have rededicated my myself a couple times too and oh yeah yeah for sure i have been guilted into doing uh 
the altar calls going forward. Like, I guess I just have to go <laughs> up can't. now. Well, like everyone else was going and yeah, I wasn't going to be the one person who wasn't no, there. It's for no. everyone else. It's not because you actually believe it. It's just that like, right. you don't get left out. It's peer pressure. Have you ever yeah. had like during the altar call? Um, okay. So like, let's put it to the scene of like, let's put it to the song of like, tenderly call it like Jesus is tenderly calling and like if enough people aren't going up they'll just be like you know let's repeat this sadly and oh my and, god and like we're gonna like do it we're gonna do a key change and make it more intense oh, yes mm-hmm. oh, yeah like twice yeah. gotta motivate those people out of their seat. <laughs> and then eventually you just go because you're like I know this is like at some point you just feel bad for the people who are like singing for so long. You're just like, like I just want to go as a symphony. They have to attention. eat lunch at some point. We need to get, like let it and we end oh. this now. <laughs> Churches need motions to adjourn. Oh my god, we just do god. Oh my gosh. Oh my goodness. This has been so lovely where can people find your book and find you and is there anything else that you want to like add that we haven't talked about well I'm actually a pretty private person like believe it or not because I'm doing a podcast today so like people please don't find me (laughs) (laughs) fair enough no I'm kidding um so they can you can order the book um anywhere books are sold but like I try to steer people towards those indie bookshops right like the small ones, y'all, in town that are on the corner, like I recommend um, using the website bookshop because they yes. source their books through local bookshops for you. Yeah. Um, you know, that being said, Amazon ships in a day and that's hard to like compete. Bookshop with. ships in like two, so I would say yeah. they're like a really good competitor. Okay. And yeah. if you reach out to me directly and you want me to ship, I'll ship it whenever the hell I get around to it. So like, <laughs> now, <laughs> it's whenever, it's, but I will sign it, you know, and I, and I don't just write like some in the week. I mean, like I try to really say things in the book. So, but now I, I typically like am shipping my books like a couple of days out whenever I go to the post office, but um, which the two ladies at the post office like are like, can we have a book? And I was like, cute but, um, that's adorable but um yeah no you can order it anywhere uh anywhere that you can get books um target barnes and noble has it on the shelves of austin um some, a couple of other places too so that's nice. really cool and um cool. Mm-hmm. what was the other question where do you get the uh, did you have anything else that you wanted to add that we didn't talk about in terms of the book yeah, in terms yeah. of the book, just like I guess I just keep telling, I I keep repeating it that um, you know, just be gentle on yourself while you read this book. Like, mm-hmm. give give yourself whatever space you need. I mean, I've had it. I've had it oscillate between people who say that they read it all in one sitting and they were standing up, like with rubbing their eyes, trying to keep their eyes. and then people <laughs> who are saying, "I have to take a four day break," um, and everything in between. So and. You know, I just want the reader to know that I took it really seriously and I took you really seriously and I am with you. So when you're reading the book and you're hearing these things, you know, I I don't want you to picture some famous author in the background, you know, who just wrote shit for for shits and giggles. I mean, that's not what it was. This is a real person and I'm a real person here and I am sitting with you. So I... I want my reader to take that comfort and I want them to know that I took that care 
Um, and I, I want, you know, good, good things to come from this book. This is not a revenge novel. This is not a book um, written through anger. This is a book that is attempting to raise the frequency. Mm-hmm. That's so important. Yeah. I love that so much. Thank you. Yeah, it it is really well done. You did a really good job with it. Like yeah. I was, I was shocked. I was like, I was ready for it to to be something that like wasn't quite as grounded as it was. But then like it was just like growing up in the church, I experienced all of this stuff, and it's it's a hard genre to it's write. So it good. really is. So. It we is do it when it's done well. Well, yeah. I appreciate you reading it. You're reading it, and I appreciate you all having me on this on this podcast and giving me a way to speak. And yeah, we're really glad you were able to join us. Yeah, I'm so I'm so happy that this worked out. Um, it's beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um. You all have a, gr- a good day. And if you want to reach out to me individually and, and talk to me at all, you know, you can just, I'll shoot you my, uh, my phone number. You can Amazing. just Amazing. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah. Beautiful. Appreciate right. you guys. Keep up the good work. Keep up the conversation. You're doing really, really good work. It's, this is an important podcast. It, it's, it's important. So this, this kind of thing is not, not hard to find. And um, it's important for us to have uncomfortable conversations and, and always looking towards the light, right? Yes, for sure. Yeah. Thank you so much. You too. I appreciate it. Bye. 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 Oh, she was so sweet. She was. It was so lovely. I love Texas authors. They're really fun. (laughs) Yeah. That sounds like a great book. I will have to get my hands on a copy soon. Um, I I really do recommend it. Yeah, it's it's real good. It's really heavy. Um, definitely, if if you grew up in this world like we did, and you want to read it, uh, be very gentle with yourself and give yourself some breaks because it is like very heavy and very familiar and very real. Um, and if you didn't grow up like we did, definitely get your hands on this book because uh, you will have the opportunity to experience similar things. <laughs> that we did I always so I I loved (laughs) I love the conversation about her reviews because I have I have a couple stories that I make my students read where like the like the craft of it is intentionally uncomfortable to make the reader experience what's going on I've got one in particular that like feels very long and overwhelming and boring and I'm like the author is trying to like communicate the like overwhelm of travel and jet lag and like the exhaustion that you experience in that state mm-hmm. of like sleep deprived you know s- mindset um and they're always like oh that makes so much sense I was so hard to read <laughs> I'm like yeah that's the point <laughs> yeah that's the point and so I love it I love it when they do that I love it when writers do yes that. yeah it's it's really good and the like the lack of ending I just kind of love about this book. You have to have ambiguity because not everybody gets out. Not everybody like accepts what happened or they get out and they don't accept what happened or they, you know, partially do both or, you know, it's not, it's not going to be your Kimmy Schmidt ending all the time. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, well, this has been good. (laughs) (laughs) This has been good. 
this has been great. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. We're going to, to dive this episode. into the 1776 commission materials next so stay tuned for that it's gonna be super fun yeah. and by fun i mean awful and hilarious yeah it, it'll be fine we'll have some wine and read it and then we'll do a podcast about it Woo! yeah uh, all right well take care of yourselves everybody <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we appreciate your continued support. If you're not a member of the um, Patreon, that we have a really, you know, vibrant Slack community happening, and we have a lot of fun over there. So if you if you join the Patreon, you can, be, you know, join the Slack and hang out with us and and some other listeners. It's a really great little space we've got going. And if you you know, we're in a pandemic. If you can't support us, we understand and we love you anyway, and we appreciate you just as much yeah for sure thank you as always to dave for editing and to the heavens for the music if you want to join the patreon it's patreon.com slash kitchen table cult pod we also for season three are sporadically recording video of us recording the podcast and that will be patrons only so if you want to see the facial expressions and general <laughs> flailing that i do every episode um definitely join so we can get that yeah and yeah please uh support emily's book if you can uh request it at your library or donate one to your library so the libraries have it get your um, library to yeah request it at your library so the library buys it yeah yay so good yay. Oh, happy roe v wade day Yes, happy Roe v. Wade Day. Mm -hmm. Happy uh, no longer having uh, Trump in the, the White House times. I still don't really know what to do with myself about it. Yeah, I'm like, let's let's yell at Biden now. Where's my check? I want my money. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is this is on the uh, as a last and completely unrelated note. I want to encourage everyone that like, yes, we have elected biden and he has like an actual conscience and some actual morals and um that's great but we still have a lot of work to do and now we have the chance to actually make progress on that work because we have an admin that is at least not trying to kill trans people actively you know the um, only way to turn milk toast into french toast is by adding heat so just go ahead and do that exactly add some heat it's great it's also totally you can you can both be frustrated at that things aren't fixed yet and also hold the happiness and comfort and joy that is like no longer the stress of the last four years i mean just because and you're both in of like these <laughs> things are like simultaneous <laughs> Just because you're no longer in an abusive relationship doesn't mean that basic decency is amazing, but it might feel amazing for a little bit. Yes, exactly that. So, exactly. Gonna that. enjoy it. Gonna also, you know, be like, P.S. Biden's an alleged rapist and Kamala's a cop. But like, hey. Right. All of these things are true. Be true. And yeah, we voted for not the Nazi. Let's keep that in mind. Yep. Like. It's we didn't vote for someone who's like the best person ever. We voted versus the person who is not a Nazi. It's very much like how we got Gavin Newsom elected. 
because the other dude was just like mini Trump. And the only other option we somehow had was uh, Job from Arrested Development. So <laughs> oh that's what's happening in California. Illusions, Kieran. Illusions. They are. Uh, all right, y'all take care. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.